Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Our reading is going to come from Genesis. We start at the place where Adam and Eve have eaten the forbidden fruit and both of their eyes were open and they were naked and they sew fig leaves together and make themselves apron-like girdles. That's where we begin from. And allow me to say this as a, by the way, because it's important to keep such a mental note. When I was younger, I had a wonderful preacher whom I adore and love, who gave an explanation on the fall of Adam and Eve and insinuated or assumed that before Adam fell and Eve, they were wearing a certain glory. And when they put on that glory, eventually, when they ate the forbidden fruit, this preacher said that glory, which was a cloak, fell off them and they knew that they were naked. And amazingly for many years, I used to believe that these guys dressed onto something and when they ate the forbidden fruit, that thing fell off. You know, one time as I'm reading through the scriptures, I see that that's not true. If you study the scriptures very keenly, the Bible says the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. That means that was an awakened consciousness to their nakedness. If there was a cloak, if there was a raiment, if there was a covering of any sort, it was on their conscience, not their bodies. You get it? And so in there, I started to see um, the deeper truth on what it means to cover your conscience. There are certain realities that God will not allow for your conscience to be awakened to because in that knowledge you will actually die. You see what I'm saying? And this is the example we have here that man was not to know or have the knowledge of good and evil. I preached a sermon on that place of knowledge, a door to perceive, to understand, to come to a certain knowledge, um, to perceive with the eyes or any of the senses. It's an awakening of the senses. There are certain senses that by God have to be dead if you should live in tandem with truth. And I think this is what Adam opened and Eve that is why God asked them, who told you you were naked? Because that opened everything. It's the reason why all of you are dressed up. And this little innocent child walking is not conscious of that world. Are you following what I'm saying? And neither are they tempted of that world. I started to see how many things we are awakened to because we live in the fallen realm of the knowledge of good and evil. That I call forbidden wisdom. There are wisdoms we were not supposed to know. You see, when you read the story, uh, extra biblical texts, um, 
you'll find stories of uh, what the fallen angelic taught the children of God to do that was by God illegal. And that is why I think is it in Peter where he speaks of the angels that are held in everlasting chains. And they're there reserved for darkness. But which are these angels? The book of Enoch, I think, explains what these angels are and what they did. They taught the children of God forbidden wisdoms, things they were not supposed to know. For example, have you ever asked yourself a question? Who taught the first woman to abort? Have you ever asked yourself that question fundamentally? Like, how did they know? how to get a child out and keep a woman healthy. Who taught this scientist the wisdom of a woman swallowing a pill and they stop a certain work? You understand what I'm saying? There's quite a lot there. You know, who taught the man who makes a nuclear warhead how to make a nuclear warhead? Who taught the man who made an atomic bomb to make an atomic bomb? How do you live in the world and you've made a weapon that can destroy Uganda, this nation, 44 million people, in 15 minutes and nothing would leave except a few cockroaches? In 15 minutes, there's a weapon in the world that can destroy 44 million people in 15 minutes and it was made by a man's brain. Are you following what I'm saying? Who taught the man who invented that AK-47? Who inspires a man to design something that can get bullet out of a gun and goes through a man's heart and strikes them dead. There's many things. Many, many things. Some I don't even want to touch. You remember the colorful tinctures? Some of the makeup some women put on. Eh, 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 eh. Is inspired by a certain world. That's why I tell African women, invest so much in who you are as God made you. You're beautiful the way God made you. You think you need to add on yourself beyond what God created to change your nose, to change. No, no, don't, don't do that. Leave it for people who don't know God. Because when we want to marry, we don't look for noses. No. Inward beauty. That which is not corruptible. The ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. That's what we look for. Not how long you touch not the Lord's anointed. Are you following? So, there are forbidden wisdoms. This world Adam and Eve were open to was not supposed to be open to them. A canopy fell off their conscience and they got to know what they were not supposed to know. That's why even for the hungry seeker, you should know where to seek and carry the satisfaction of not going beyond what God is able to give you. Because if you alast their familiar spirits on every gate of revelation that are open and available to minister to you and divert you with another light and take you off course. And many have hidden those kinds of spirits. He says, I think it's in Timothy, where in the last days men shall give heed to doctrines of devils and seducing spirits. The spirit speaketh expressly. 
how a man can sit under a seducing spirit and minister that as revelation. And we see that all the time. I see it. I see it. Especially, especially in the prophetic movement. Not all prophets are off, by the way. Not all prophets are wrong. But something, now I'm speaking from an apostolic office because we easily can judge foundations. Not all prophets are wrong. Don't mark me wrong. And I'm not mentioning names, but there are things I see and I'm saying no. Something has gone off tangent. This is not God speaking. There is something else. Because the consecrations that come with the oracles of God are not evident. They don't carry the tangible presence that the voice of God should come with. Let me tell you, every man speaking of God must carry a certain presence that is vindicated by a man who knows God. That's not me only. That's not me only. It's not for me to judge that only. Even you can sit and say, mm, there's a something that, there's a certain presence the voice of God should come with. Read the Bible, you'll see. Every time God spoke, the Bible says they fall to their knees and say, truly, there is a God. Now, there's a vindication. Now, separate that from the person who is just lusting to know their future and a person who really wants to hear truth from God because those two things are different. There are people who are after anything that can speak what they don't know. If it can demystify a certain mystery, then it is God speaking. And I don't want you to forget that even a soothsayer, divination can do that. Clamboyancy can do that. Who have very clear vision that they don't need to have a relationship with God. You understand what I'm saying? They don't have a relationship with God. They don't need to have a relationship with God to see. So, but the normal average Christian, they don't know that. They just follow every light. You see, they just follow every light. So, and for the fear of being misunderstood that we are really against, you know, the Lord, sometimes we don't know how to explain this, but yet we are accountable to the bloods of those who should know. In the most meek and careful way, we try to help awaken some of you, to help you understand. Even in the teaching ministry, of course, there's quite a lot there. There's also quite something there, but something has fallen in the prophetic. And I prophesied a few years ago that the shake-up has come. And many, many things are going to shake in the prophetic. This is just the beginning. You have not actually seen yet. Many things are going to shake in the prophetic realm. You know, many orders are going to break. Many orders are going to break. I see them every time I close my eyes. I see many orders are going to break. Many thrones are going to fall. Some lights are going to be before your eyes because in essence, the heart of God is not revealed when we, make, when we say God is saying. And there's nothing in this time that is most important to heaven like the heart of God being revealed. That's so why I tell people, every time you're pursuing God, pursue his heart. What is he saying from his heart? It's a very important thing. I'm not even supposed to go there, but somebody provoked me. Praise the Lord. Anyway, let's continue to what I was saying. So when they hide themselves, the Bible says they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
and Adam and his wife, the Bible says, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Why? Because they knew they had messed up. They knew they had made a mistake. They knew they had done the unforgivable sin. They had broken the law of God. So they hid. And what makes this portion of scripture so deep, cuts me so deep, and as I take time to unpack this, I pray that you carry the burden of conviction that I see with, with this work. I give an example. If you, for example, are in a relationship with somebody, and then you say, um, you make your vows. Okay, in the vows, there's many commitments you make. Many commitments that you make in a vow. You know, I, 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 I give you this ring, and with this I give you all that I possess. And, you know, you commit to them, to love them, and only them, to look at no other except them. And then, in all of these commitments you make, you break one of them. And probably a very heavy one, you break our heart, you break your husband's heart. Ideally, um, the Bible teaches us for the heart what to do, and for the one who heart what to do, okay? It's in black and white. But usually, we find ourselves that there's some sort of silence. Some even break up, you know, some fight each other. Why? Because you hurt them or they hurt you. Could spell the end of that relationship. Don't want to talk to them anymore. They are wicked. He hurt you, she hurt you. That's how human beings are. That's the carnal part of us. There's people in this room, you last talked to your own blood brother, maybe two years ago. Why? Because they say they lie about you. You say, you know what, I'm done. This guy, I'm burying him. His name, you know, his picture and, and everything. I know people who have walked to their own brothers and told them, you're no longer my brother anymore. And they've never spoken to them. Some of you, it's been years since you last spoke to your mothers, your own biological mother. You're here, you've not spoken to your father because of what they did to you at 12. It's a hard one and I understand you have your story. You see what I'm saying? Some of you, you're in ministry. Somebody hurt you in the choir. Every time they come by, you look away like this and act like they're not there. Then you greet the next person. But sometimes you're in the same rotor. So somehow eh, you struggle because you're singing with a person that, that you don't like. You're hurt by them. There's something they did to you. Yes, granted. You're going through all of that. That's just who human beings are. That's just our worst and fallen self. And that's what it expresses. You see? And many people actually have then presented our God like that. You know, eh, you, what of that? You are God. God is going to kill you. God has judged you. You're not worthy. And I've seen many men preach this. You're not worthy. You know, you're disqualified. God has no business with you. He had, eh, you're so wicked. In fact, or if you found yourself in the trouble, they say, ah, God judged him. He did this. He did that. And, and you know, many people are so quick to judge. Because they don't know the heart of God. They don't understand how the world works. The weightier issues, you know, God's judgments, you know, 
how God judges things. It's, it's important for you to know how God judges things versus how you judge things. How long did Hitler live? He killed how many? Six million Jews? How long did Hitler live? Do you know a story is given once Hitler was drowning in the story of Adolf Hitler? He was once drowning. He fell in water and he was to drown that day. And a certain person went in and fell in and saved his life. What were they saving? Was it the devil saving Hitler or God saving him? Are you following what I'm saying? So if Hitler lived that long, so then what do you mean? If he lived that long to fulfill all that, what about the innocent child who died at three? What about the innocent mother who was pushing a baby in a hospital and they breathed their last at 22? What have they done so hard? Do you know there are people who are so wicked and are aging? No headache, no flu. But they are wicked. Are you following what I'm saying? So don't judge things from where you see them. Eh? Judge things from where God is. Are you following what I'm saying? So, people teach this God who, hey, God is going to judge you. You are going to die. And I've heard it. I've heard people teach. Thank God that for people like us, we got to know a little more on God's heart early. And we understood some things, aspects, still growing and learning, but some things early. We understood some things early. Hence the fruit you see. Look at the heart of God. This is God. First time dealing with a man who has messed up. Man in his own nature and pride, instead of running to his God, he hides himself because he assumes God wants none to do with him. And listen to how powerful this is. The Bible says, but... The Bible says they hid themselves, but, that word but is powerful. They hid themselves, but the Lord called to Adam and said, Adam, where are you? You've messed up, but where are you? I still want you. I still want to fix you. I still want to redeem you. You can never understand this until you've messed up a great deal. Some of you, when you talk about messing up, you broke a glass. You, know, you stole 50 shillings from the table. Oh, oh, but there are people here who have really messed up. You have a PhD. Not degree, not diploma, no. You have three masters and a PhD. The things you have done, you even carry no language for. Now, every person who has a conscience of God knows this. That when you have messed up, it is so hard to face this holy God. It's very hard. That is why there are people, when they mess up, they say, ah, let me live stream. 
not come to church? Mm-mm. Let me live stream. They have this mind. What if I'm just there? And lightning comes through that roof and only strikes my head. Now wait a minute. Where will I go? Anybody been through that? Well, I have been through that when I was younger. You're too born again. Too. You tell a lie and say, why did I? And then you feel so bad in yourself. You even enter the church. You first enter the door. You reach the door and first. Father, as I enter your presence, preserve me, don't kill me. In Jesus' mighty name, then you enter the church. For some of you, you're in the choir. You messed up last night and you're leading on the altar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mama, how are you? I'm not feeling well. What do you mean you're not feeling well? I don't know. There's something. I can't confess it. Papa refused us to confess. But there is something in there telling you. Mm? Don't step on the altar now. Something might take you off. <laughs> My brother has a friend. He invited this guy for Fanero. This guy said, ah, the things I've done. These are the words the guy spoke. I'm not, I'm telling you the exact words the guy spoke to my brother. My brother tells me. He's this guy, my brother tells him, oh, come and we go for this wonderful fellowship. The man said, the things I have done, if I enter that presence, you just seem, things going through my trousers. I'll just urinate on myself. Because God will have to do too much to cleanse me. In fact, I think at one point he invited him. The guy stayed a bit far. You know, like where you say you, you're saying a meeting there, and then somebody stands like there. Then he listens to the word a bit proximate. Because anything can happen. You never know. Eh? He holds himself to make sure that if they strike him, at least he has some balance. Well, let me tell you something. These people who have known me for years now, I've told them, it doesn't matter what you have done, come and sit in the presence of God. As a minister, it's okay to excuse yourself and say, you know what, I have some issues, please excuse me because I need to make right a few things. And when you do that, sit in the presence. If you decide to fall, fall forward. Don't backward. Come and say, Lord, I have my issues, but I would rather die in your presence than outside. Are you learning something, child of God? It's very important. This is the heart of God. Adam has messed up and you'd expect God to say, no business with this fellow. I'm going to bury him tomorrow. But the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where I am. I still want to deal with you. I still want to walk with you. Oh, I heard your voice and I was afraid. I heard your voice and I was afraid. Yes, sometimes the fear is there when we have messed up. But you see, the point is, there is a reason, and I don't know how much God loves us. All I know is we can never know how much. That's what I know. 
all I know is we can never, I don't think while we're still in this tent, we will ever understand fully how much he loves us. But man is fallen and he still wants to reach out to that man. He still wants to come to you. That thing provokes a certain holiness in my spirit I can never explain. It has taught me to want to extend and do good to those who hurt me most. Because this is God. It's the only way. The Bible says if you only advantage or favor those who do you good, what difference is it for you? Even the drunkards love themselves. The Bible speaks of blessing those who will never bless you. Above all, actually, who don't deserve to be blessed by you. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who you know don't deserve it. There are people who hurt me. And I go on my knees and I say, give me the opportunity, Lord, to do this person good. Because when that love overwhelms you, you find yourself that there's no way you cannot love. One man sang and said, I then shall eat as one who's learnt compassion I've been so loved that I risk loving too I know how fields walls instead of bridges, I'll dare to see another point of view. And when relationships demand commitment, then I'll be there to care and forgive. This thing I just told you, it's greater than going on a prayer mountain for four months. Because the Bible says, even if you can speak in tongues of men and angels and have not love. Verses 2 says, though you have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, demystify. And though you have all faith to open blind eyes on the deaf and could remove mountains but have not love, he says, you are nothing. This is what makes God, God. That when I turned my back from him, he turned to me and said, come now, let us reason together. <laughs> Isaiah 1.18 is not to a man static standing in one place. 
Isaiah 1.18 is a man which has seen messed up and he's walking away from this God and God calls him back and says, come back, let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. This is God reaching out to a man running away from him. What a God. What a God. The psalmist says in 139 verse 7, if you read from the Amplified Version, he says, where could I go from your spirit? Is this a man who wanted to stay? Does it sound like a man who wanted to stay in the present? No. It sounds like a man who perhaps at one particular point had messed up. I mean, look at David's story. How do you kill a man and take over his wife and then face God when you have understood how serious it is? It's a hard thing. It's not easy for anybody. But as a prophet opens his eyes to see and understand what he had done, I believe in his heart, he's like, what have I done to my God? This was a man, David, in all his flaws, loved God. And that's why I tell people, separate what the weaknesses of people and their relationship with God. Because let me tell you something, you might judge otherwise, but the Bible says God judges according to heart. Every one of us which was chosen, he looked at our hearts first. He looked at our hearts first. Every man and woman you see used of God, no matter how many flaws they have, can't you understand that God looked at their heart first? You might not qualify them according to your radar. You might not qualify them according to your requirements. But heaven qualified them because he knows them and knows you more than you know yourself. The Lord has be a blind side on our lives. We will never see ourselves as we ought. No man actually has, I think, that ability and grace. It's wisdom. You'll understand it as you continue to grow some of you. And some of you are mature, understand that. That is why you might never enjoy your own creation more than the one which is receiving. You get it? You might see and not like your voice, like the person who is hearing you sing. You probably say, ah, ah. But in feeling that way, then mean that the person who hears you, hears you that way. We actually hear ourselves differently from the way people hear us. That's why some of you, it's even hard to read your own writing. Or hear your own sermon. Not because you don't qualify the things that you speak, but because you're blind to the true judgment of yourself and you can never judge things right until you come out of yourself. You have to first disconnect from yourself to see yourself as you ought. So there's always a part of us that is blind. And it's good to keep it if it only keeps us humble. Because in part, it gives us a certain estimation we need in pruning ourselves and not doing what must be done to be better. But it's dangerous if it is psychologically twisted because then you have an overinflated uh, opinion of yourself. 
And then you can build a world entirely on your subjective opinion, which are not necessarily in agreement with common sense. That effect in psychology is called Dunning-Kruger. If you've never read it, go and read about it. The Dunning-Kruger effect. You remember in school where you had this guy who thinks he can beat you in running? When you go on the track and then you run and then beat him and he said, I still can beat you. Let's go. Then you go on the track again and then run and beat him and he said, me, I know I still I can beat you. Then you run the next year, you run 10 years, 5 years. That's not faith. That's Danny Kruger. For some of you who watch music audition, they call people and they say, we want to reward the best musician. And then a person comes with a microphone and starts. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For the Lord God Almighty Stop, stop, stop. Do you have another song? Yes. Sing another one. Creator of the universe. What can't you do? What? How long have you been training? For six months. <laughs> How many hours a day? Four hours. Singing. Yeah. Do you think you can win this competition? 100%. Well, we want to tell you today you can't sing. I say, all my time I put. I put my time. I go back home and write a song called Never Give Up. Then they look for a DJ who wants money. They go in the studio. I wrote a song called Never Give Up On Your Dreams. Never give up, never give up, never give up. DJ, how is it? Why? Why? Because DJ wants to be paid. Let's take another take. Never give up. Uh-huh. Go higher. Then they produce a CD. Then the next thing you know, they send it to Apostle Grace. I want to perform in Fanero. You put on the thing and you're like, eh? Should I be a judge like Simon Cowell or do I stay a spiritual father? So, Papa, how was the song?
God is in control. <laughs> That's Dunning Kruger. That's a man doubly blind. And it's okay if it's a singer, it's okay if it's a footballer, because the academy can drop them, but imagine eh? it's a preacher. Who knows that he's deep? And he can preach better than <laughs> David, Psalms 139. This was not a man who wanted to stay. He said, Where could I go from your spirit? Where could I go from your spirit? Or where could I flee from your presence? If I ascend up in heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the place of the dead, behold, you are there. This, this is so deep. This is so deep. Even our relationship with God has layers. It has dimension. It has dimension. Depending on the consecrations, the journeys we've gone with God, the vows we have with God, the secrets we have with God, like I'll give you an example when a woman has given birth to a child first month, second month, five months six months, that child is so clinging to the mother that child is not clinging to the mother because they love them they're clinging to the mother because they look at them as an object of security one which meets their need if Ralph switched and another woman started to do the exact things for that child that child can easily switch relationship. Because even though it is so close, limited, it is still transactional because that child has not yet matured in mind for wisdom and understanding to know why that relationship exists. So yes, you see this child, I can't leave my mother, I can't leave my mother. And you see the same issue when you were born again, just born again when you just received Jesus Christ, you say that's babes. You know? So when you're born again, you come in as a baby. And who is the womb and the mother? It is the church. You come with a certain excitement of salvation. And some of you remember when you just gotten born again. Oh my God. Church was fun. Fun. Even look up. Like everything looked. You were like in heaven. You sit in church. You even forget to eat food. When you just gotten born again. Some of you, there's somebody right now. You just got born again a month, two months. Like, where was I? This thing. You want everyone to know about it. You've changed your lifestyle. Back in the day, your trousers used to be here. Now you tie them up here. You're born again. You walk with your Bible. Everything looks. It's either black or white. True or false, you don't want to tell a lie. People look unclean. You now use even Vaseline, you put it on your face. You, you enter church and Bambi, you look. Uh, even when they are praising God, the way you, you sing, eh? it's not creator, no, it's creator. 
Do you get it? You are. Mm, if Jesus came back, you are. Eh? You've shunned your friends. If there was like a boyfriend there, in the noises, you, you know, chuck him tomorrow, you know. Michael, I'm following Jesus. From today, I'm following Jesus. If you're not following Jesus with me, there is nothing here. I can't unequally yoke. Overnight, you're there. Lunch hours, you're there. You're devouring every book. Amen. But you don't know that you're still transactional. Because you are without full understanding of this relationship. See, he wills that all men be saved, comma, and that they might come to the knowledge of the truth. You've not yet known enough. And that's not enough to keep you. After a few months, you start, you know, going back a bit. Do a few things. Here and there, you, you start going back to the real world because you miss the pleasure. Some things come back a bit. And then they find you after two years. Hey, sister, now we no longer see you at church. I'm coming. I'll come, don't worry. I'm dealing with a few things. You lost your first love and probably the person who also has found you is also at their beginning stage. And some of you even cancel them. Say, yeah, you'll come down. We had those fires before. Don't worry, it's time. No, it's okay, let her go, let her go, let her go. Some of you fallen people now even scorn at you. Yeah, so, Panera is exciting. Eh? Okay, keep going. Even as we used to go. No, no, we were like you. We loved God. But you'll, you'll come down, you'll discover... These Christians, you, it's okay. But yeah, me, I don't pray a lot, but uh, I love God in my way. <laughs> the fire went down. Why? Because they did not know God. Now they assume by reason of being born again for so long, therefore they have an experience with God. They don't. Because nobody can test him and understand him fully and turn from him. If you ever see a person turn back, they never knew him in the first place. You cannot know him and not love him. You cannot know him and not love him. Because, like some of us, when the fire had come in university, they told us, ah, you'll come down. Now we have grown up more than 10 years. We are married, our children are grown, we are serving God. We've not come down. And we're not going to come down. There are people I met in university. They were on fire. They are still as fiery. Are they still in the first love? No, they've graduated. Because like I said, intimacy has levels. There's another level where you enter and the transaction ceases. And now you want to build relationship, a relationship with him. There are about five or so levels. There's a level of death. And sacrifice. So all of these are journeys of consecration. And there are places you can only go alone. You can't go with certain people. Some of you, if you're not praying with some people, you can't pray. There are places you get to where even when nobody's praying, you are praying. There's somebody who came to pray because you were given a lift. A person who gave you a lift is not available, you cannot pray. There's a consecration where you get to 
where whether they give you a lift or there is no lift, you will walk to church. Those are different levels. The other day, tears came to my heart when a lady came in. It was a rainy day. I remember that day. Many people who have cars didn't pray. Many people I know who have cars did not pray that day. And there was a lady who came in so dripping. She had held her dress because it was dripping, holding her shoes in the hand. I, I believe probably one of them could have even been torn or she couldn't wear them anymore. And it was raining. But she came out of the taxi and came dripping because she wanted God. But that day, I know people who own very expensive cars who stayed because it was raining and they would rather light stream because they can stream. All of these are levels of intimacy. There are people who can go on the streets because let me tell you, street preaching, by the way, there is nothing that crucifies the flesh. Like getting your degree, your PhD, your family name and standing on Kampala Road. There are many people here who can love Jesus a certain way. <laughs> but in you go on the streets, you need to die. You need to crucify so much. You need to be able to be wounded and scarred. So like I said, intimacies have what? Have levels. And all of us love God different. Don't assume that we all love. But there's somebody on the street who is not there because they are crucifying their flesh. No. They have a very distorted mind. They are so delusional that on the streets they are not even sacrificing. It's just who they are. They are just outgoing people. They like where drama is. Turumbe, turumbe. There's a deeper level. Now, this is David. And like I said, this is not something I can teach in 30 minutes to help you understand. When a man says, even if I go among the dead, which is hell, you are there. And in this instance, the psalmist is not saying that God is in hell because uh, his presence is everywhere. But he's saying that even if I went to hell, the relationship and love that you have for me and the way I have known you, you'd still come in hell for me. So not many people can understand that kind of relationship. There are people who have a relationship with God. Even if you found them in hell, they would not be there because they are judged. Even if they went to hell, even if you found them in the place of the dead, the relationship they have with God cannot allow them to see corruption. No, they are soul what? Stay in hell. So when you read scriptures like, for thou will not leave my soul, leave. In other words, if it went, God would go for it. That's a, that's a very deep thing. Many of you cannot understand it. This is not something I can explain to many theologians because it's relational. It's an experience with God. It's not something you can articulate through semantics and, you know, theocracy. He says, even if you will not leave me in hell, if he found himself there, the presence of God and the love he has for him would scoop him back and say, you don't belong here. No, let me see corruption. Because he had a relationship with God that was so distinct. That kind of man cannot worry that God would ashamed him. He continues to say, 
If I take the wings of the morning or dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say surely the darkness shall cover me and the night shall be the only light about me. Even the darkness hides nothing from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike. Even if I go in darkness, you'd still find me because for you it's the same thing. You can and will find me. I'm talking of that God, that everlasting love that you'll come to understanding to appreciate that when you enter this relationship with God, he will always come back for you. Not many people can say that, but that is something I can say of myself. I know how much God has loved me. Not because he has loved me more than he has loved that other person or anybody listening to me, but because I'm studying every day and I come acquainting myself with how much he loves me. This thing stirs something in my spirit. That it takes out fear. Now, I know why the Bible says perfect love casts out. It casts out. That when that love comes, fear leaves you. Not because you're not going through a disease that is killer. Not because you're not going through a circumstance that could bury you. Not because your marriage is not on the rocks. Not because your child is on drugs and every night you don't know what to do. Not because you're not dealing with something that is troubling your mind. Not because you, you know, you're not dealing with some swelling in your body. No, all of these are yes, granted they're there. But I know a love, that I, I understand a love that cannot leave me sick. It cannot leave me weak. It cannot kill me. It cannot let my marriage sink. It cannot let my child die. That kind of consciousness. Look at parenthood. Look at parenthood. I tell people, one time we took my daughter for immunization. And the part I hate, I don't even know what was on my wife's head that day. She told me, you're the one holding her. I, I don't like bring me a lame man bring me a blind eye and a deaf ear but please don't make me hold a baby there preaching it like I hate that that day they handed over the responsibility apostle I held a kid <laughs> so it's nice just like she enjoys it like, Everything is going to be all right, Apostle. Everything is going to be all right, Apostle. So, they prick my child on the thigh. I had a cry I'd never had before. So deep. Not loud, but deep. You know that? that ah! Then it pauses. As it's collecting what? Momentum. It rent me inside. And I know they were saving her. Of course, some of you are emotional absent. All of us were pricked. Come on. Do we turn the other side to prick here? Come on, hey, hey, hey. Come on. What's wrong with you, man? No, no. No. Some of you are like that. And I pity your marriages. <laughs> Some people are emotionally absent. So anyway, at that point, at that point, 
I want and protect the place of my child. I thought, was there a way I would carry the pain and she carries the immunization? That's the... Every parent understands this. If you're not a parent, you can't... Parents, 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 parents. Have you ever seen your child sick and you say, I wish it would take me instead? Because at that particular point, it doesn't matter. This is you. It's the core. It's something that came out of you. You can't explain it, but that connection you have with your child. I wanted to be pricked so my child will only carry the other part. I was willing to take that any day. And no parent I know in their right senses would not be willing to sacrifice even their own life any day. One time we were in a riot and it hit Arua Park and I was to meet my father that does at campus and a bunch of rowdy guys came, 20 or 30 of them and there was these guys with huge sticks like this and they were beating them. And I remember the, this guy sees me among these guys running and he thinks that I'm among them. So he raises his hand to smite me with a huge stick and I remember my father screaming, my son! And then he ran to cover me. Now, physically, I was stronger than him. If one of us was beaten, I would have had high chances of survival. But I was his son. He was willing to put his body to make sure that I'm not harmed. He would think of the consequences later, but he was willing. That's true parenthood. That's why I don't understand. A man in this room who has not spoken to your son for two years because you misunderstood his mother. I don't get a woman who says I'm not going to talk to my daughter for five years because she messed up. In psychology, we call it parental alienation. Some of you don't know where your wars between the person you dated end and you extend those wars to their children. And then you're going to deny this child to see her father. Ask us who counsel people in the room every day. And I'll tell you, the most dysfunctional women I know lack the pure voice of a father at one point. At least 80%. Either of those who are struggling to settle down, I said 80. I was sharing with somebody recently. Not all. All those who can't keep relationships. All those whose marriages are dying. Some of them, when you search, the pure voice of a father was not there. The first person who told her he loved her was not pure. He was transactional. So they don't know the voice of a man saying this is wrong and they are speaking from the love that only God can speak from. Because any father can give that. You understand what I'm saying? Perhaps the first person who told her they loved her they were in senior four. It was just youthful passion. Infatuation Adolescence was working and the hormones were misplaced. I love you. Oh, David. <laughs> so it's either the father wasn't there or he was abusive. So she never related with him. He was a tough one. Likewise, a boy needs to hear a pure spirit of a woman in a picture of a mother. And some of you lost yours. I'm sorry, but if God can bring it, so you can, even if you know a child who's an orphan, be that at least. 
or help them give them a certain figure. Because I used to know many absent men who are dysfunctional in their mind because they don't understand one bit of a woman. They don't know how women think. They don't know how a woman's world works. They don't know that a woman's sentiment is attached to everything. So they can easily offend because they don't know. Because I tell people, I was sharing somebody recently that women are conceptional beings. Eh? Like everything is conceived. Even if she sits on a chair, she can understand a chair. The chair shall sit or don't. That's how they are designed. They conceive everything. That's why education professionals are telling us that why they are struggling to teach boy child and girl child is that girl children understand abstract things. You can tell her something and her mind creates it and she understands it. You see? If you bring a, a mosquito and say you draw it on a board, the girl will understand it quicker than a boy. Because for you, everything, and that's what makes you dangerous, because everything is a picture. You, you can create a picture out of anything. For us, some things just stay there in the air. We try to imagine what they mean. I'm done. What do you mean you're done? Usually, it's men who ask those questions. When you tell a woman you're done, she understands. But when you tell a man, I'm done, he's like, what do you mean you're done? No, I'm done with this relationship. What do you mean you're done with this relationship? No, the brain is trying to get a picture of what you mean by you are done with the relationship. You us, we try to construct things. So if he was raised with a woman, he would have a part that sometimes borrows that world to see, okay, this woman is thinking like this because of this. To enter that world and try to meet her where she is to help her. You see what I'm saying? Are you following what I'm saying? You parents are saying, don't separate your children from the person you messed up with or whose relationship failed because they didn't ask you to date. They didn't have an opinion. Neither did they ask you to bring them in this world. So if you do, then bear the consequences that you're not the only parent. Unless on the extremes, of course, we have those parents who are abusive and very toxic, that if you expose the child there. But again, it takes so much wisdom to know uh, what to do there. I don't want to judge everything. And don't judge everybody because some cases vary. I was dealing, me and Pastor Ronnie were dealing with a case of a man who raped a girl at 14. The father gave that girl who was raped over to the witch doctor who raped her because he could not keep a pregnant girl home. And then he killed her soul at 14. And then this woman aged, the girl who comes out of that engagement, and remember, this 14-year-old has been forced into the marriage. You understand? Forced into the marriage. So she raises her child. When the child was 14, the very man who raped her at 14 raped his daughter. That one we judged it and said, no, leave that home. We took the child to school. She's healed. We ministered to her. But I'm trying to tell you, those are extremes, but those exist also. Two generations. Those are also there. So you don't judge every case without listening to it, you know. 
fairly. Let's go back to what I was trying to tell us here. If you earthly parents can do anything for your child, you can take a bullet for your child. What makes you think God will allow those kidneys to stop? Yeah, but some people's kidneys have stopped. Yes. Maybe they didn't trust in that love. You trust in it. Because without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God. What makes you think he will let you fail? You tell yourself every day. Because you see, if you don't have that, the base, the core of that love, you cannot believe. The Bible speaks of faith which worketh by love. Neither circumcision or uncircumcision availeth. It has nothing to do with what you've done or what you've not done to be right with God. But it matters that you know that he loved enough. Are you following what I'm saying? Enough. That's why I tell you, when you understand that love, you'll keep trusting until the day you leave this earth. And the day you stand before your maker, you will not stand with any vindication of what you did and what you didn't do. You'll only look to the justification that you received, the righteousness that was imputed to you only because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and nothing else. At least that's how I intend to stand before my God. Are you following what I'm saying? Nothing. Oh, now will I say, oh, now I did this. No, no, no. I will keep trusting to that day when you get there in heaven. It will only be this one thing that I trusted in the sacrifice of your son. This is the most important thing. That's why Paul says, when I was among you, he said, I sought to know nothing. The Amplified says to be acquainted with nothing, to make a display of the knowledge of nothing, to be conscious of nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. He's saying that's the story, that's the journey. Because you see, to think about it, if I was willing to take the place of my daughter's pain, or if my dad was willing to give his life for me, do you know now, with this analogy, what it means when God said, I sent my son. I could have sent any other angel. I would have raised any man born by a woman. I would have made some animal sacrifice. I want you to know, with the very love you love your son, your child, that baby, you're fighting for and you'd give anything for, you've lived for, worked for all your lives and given your best and sacrificed even to stay in a marriage that you would have walked out of. But every time you looked at them and thought, I don't want to raise this functional kid, let me stay and carry this pain and the diseases and afflictions that came with that and endure the madness of this man because you hope that one day your child would have a better life. If you could sacrifice that, and this is the very one your God gave, his only He didn't have two, he didn't have three. He didn't pick from among those. 
He's trying to help you understand that this thing called love for you is deep and it is more real than many of you take it. That's why I tell you people, love God. Love God. Because he's done so much for us. He sacrificed so much for us. Some of us, the way we play in the things of God, I, I wonder whether you understand that he, imagine him looking at his innocent boy who has done nothing, bleeding. And I see those two eyes. He's seeing his child weeping and he's looking at you saying, I hope you understand. Because there was no way he would express how much he loved you. Imagine the pain he had that day. Why do you think the heavens opened and, you know, the earthquakes came and thunder hits and heaven literally was ripping. God, his heart was ripped out. He was looking at his only son being killed for your sin. The Bible tells us that, will he not with him give you everything? Why do you worry about Tushon? Why do you worry about a job? Why do you worry whether you're going to get married or not or whether you're going to get healed or not? Look at what he gave and you'll understand there is no way. There is no way. The Bible says he that spared not his own or son. He didn't say somebody's son. His own son. But delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? What is more important to God than Jesus? If he gave Jesus, what, what would he deny you? Then you hear people teach, you know, sometimes God can say no. And I'm thinking, what do you mean? According to his will? Something that is designed in his will to work? This was him trying to show you, this is how much I love you. I'll kill my own child for you. Believe in the power of that love to redeem you from every circumstance. In your body, in your family, in your job, in your ministry. That love will hold you forever. It exists in every dimension. It's here, it is in heaven. It's deeper even in heaven. When you understand that, fear will leave your heart. Fear will leave your heart. Worry will leave your heart. Even when things are not yet working as they are, you will tell yourself, this is one thing that I know in the many things I could speak for sentence. That God loves me. If there is one thing that I find myself crying over, that's the one thing. That I know how much God loves me. I know, I feel it. It's, it's even beyond feeling. It's an experience. That's why some of you, I want to help you know how to relate with God from I mean, some of you, you only pray, oh, Jesus, I need a job. Hey, God, help me get a husband. That's where you are. You see, that's where some of you are. So you don't have that moment where you can actually sit with God, problem-free or no problem, and say, God, all these things aside, I love you. I understand. The Bible says, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came. This is the same man telling you, I come for you. I don't just give you laws. Moses gave you laws. When it came to me, I didn't bring laws to you. I came to you because that's what I do. Even in your rebellion, even in your madness, even in your crazy stupor, I still came for you. Ever since Jesus Christ came to seek and save 
that which was lost. He says, I'm not come to the world to condemn it. I'm not here to condemn any man. I know all your madness and the crazy life you've lived. But the Bible says, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's why Jesus is here. To save you. Are you following what I'm saying? That's the only reason why Jesus is here. To save you. Feel love. Understand that you matter and you are enough. Stop getting happiness. Some of you, you live from the revelations of things from without. You're still the kind who sit before a TV and find fun and go out and have fun and go on a beach and have fun. Some of us are no longer in that realm. We no longer derive our happiness from, you know, the visible faculty. It's material world. No. You could buy me the best kind of world and I, I would thank God it's a tool. But nothing will skip. Nothing will skip. And that's who I am. Those who know me know me. That's why even with the things God has done in my life, I've not changed. Because nothing, nothing, nothing defines that. You see what I'm saying? Soon I'm going to teach about certain, you know, things that I think are very pivotal. In understanding who you are, to know who you are, to really know why you are here. You see, from the faculties that men can see and design through your senses and to the deeper realms of understanding of potential and abilities and giftings. And then there's also that deeper one, which is core. It's not given among the realm of gifts. It's not given among the realm of your revelational faculties. It's, it's deeper than that. That one comes out when you're crushed. It comes out when God has dealt with you. Then you'll understand why Jesus had to be crucified. Why, you know, men who have been used by God have actually gone through certain furnaces because there are certain things God cannot bring out of you without striking. You know, it's these things, he has to break you. There's a, you know, was it Catherine Kuhlman? I think she said that. And all the Benny Hinn, and they all had this thing, kill me, bend me. It's the same thing. You know, you cannot get oil out of this thing until you crush. There are things that some of you go through, they were not meant to destroy you. They are just, there to consecrate you, for you to really find yourself. For you to really find yourself. And so there are multi-dimensions and layers through which God deals with us. And when a man is on that journey, it's important they understand what God is saying when they are in a certain journey. There's somebody whose marriage failed. Even though the devil was in it, there was a bigger plan. Bigger. And then somebody says, I'm going to commit suicide. No, no, no. God is saying, no. Wait, I'll show you. I will show you. Eventually, everything will come together. Everything will make sense. Why do you need to understand this? Because you can never live in the fullness of God without understanding this love. Agape. Not what a mother feels for a child, not what a brother feels for a sister, not what you feel for a friend or a man feels for a wife. That's nothing. That's nothing. That's nothing. 
This is higher than anything. So Paul now in prayer, in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 17, if you read the amplified version, he says, may Christ through your faith actually dwell, settle down, abide and make his permanent home in your heart. Because Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. That physical image is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. What we would call celestial image. But he dwells in our hearts through faith. And the Bible says, may you be rooted deep in love and founded securely on love. Very important. Deeply rooted in love and founded securely on love. You're rooted, you're so deep in understanding the love of God, but everything you do is secured on God's love. To know that he loves you. Oh, where did you get the boldness to say everything is going to be alright? He loves you. Yeah, but they say it's incurable, but he loves you. Yeah, yeah, but this one, even if they operate it, it still grows, but he loves you. This afternoon I was so privileged to meet a, a gentleman in the church who was dying of cancer last year. This afternoon, another one, there are two of them now, and I got to know them last week, who was also God as, as, as healed. So this guy told me they can't trace anything. But I remember we sat down and prayed, and I told him, God will help you. But I was speaking, I was not speaking from uh, encouraging. I was speaking from that place of, he loves us. He loves us. He loves us. And the man came and told me, I have a very clean bill of health. And I hugged him and I said, I'm so happy for you. Now he has seen another expression of God's love. And you will see God. 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 You'll see God. I don't know what I'm talking to, but you'll see God. He says, when you're deeply rooted in love and founded securely in love, you may have the power and be strong to apprehend, to understand, grasp because you need divine strength. You need the power of God to take this thing. It's so big. And you cannot define any power on you without taking this first. The power. The Bible says by faith Sarah received strength to conceive seed that bore her a child. That strength, that power to conceive, the power of conception. This is the power he's talking about. The power of understanding. The power of conception to be impregnated with this reality. He says that you may be strong to apprehend and grasp with all the saints, God's devoted people, the experience of that love. What is the breadth, the length, the height, and depth of it? That you may really come to know practically through experience for yourself the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience. Mere knowledge without experience. Oh, Jesus loves me for the Bible tells me so. No, you go beyond the Bible tells me I have felt his touch. I have experienced him. It's more than the things he has done. A man could have done these things, but I'm talking about the things no man could do. But this, this is something that 
you can only have in the present. You can't explain it to somebody. It's so overwhelming. Some of you find yourself in tears. Some of you find yourself sitting alone and you feel like you don't want to be with anybody. Not because you're anti-social, but your heart wants him. You follow him. Now, he continues to say, when you experience him, the Bible says, you will be filled through all your being and to all the fullness of God. You may be filled through all your being and to all the fullness of God. That means when you understand this love, everything that touches God feels. Now you see how the anointing comes? You see how you understand the power that we have to say, walk in the name of Jesus. It's that love. I know he loves them. He has to release her. You see what I'm saying? That's the fruit of answered prayer. And he continues to say that you may be filled through all your being unto all the fullness of God. And he explains that you may have the richest measure of the divine presence and become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself. Nobody, nobody, nobody can doubt that anointing on your life when you understand this thing. Something will happen that will make you different. Your face will shine even as you're talking about him. The spirit of the Lord will start moving to vindicate what's upon your life. Because you are perfected every day in this mystery. The measure of his presence, richest measure it means, nothing will be impossible in your presence. Nothing will be impossible in your presence. As a world that creates miracles. As a world that makes the impossible possible. Because you're not alone. You're founded securely on love. You are rooted in that very love. Nothing. First Corinthians 13, 8. Love never fails. It never fails. Richest measure of his presence. And your body will be filled and flooded with God. How do you carry disease when you're flooded with God? How do you fear? How do you walk in fear when you're flooded with God? Talk about your spirit man is strengthened and energized to ignore every circumstance around you and look to him that also and finish of your faith. Because you believe him. Now to him, next verse, by in consequence of the action of his power that is at work within us. What do you think that power is? Love. That's the power by which nothing fails. By in consequence of the action of his power that is at work within us. The action of love that is at work within us because that's the power that defines the measure, the richest measure of God's presence and floods your body with God. 
Now that power, he says, in consequence of the power that is at work within us, because of that, he is able to carry out his purpose and do superabundantly far over and above all that we dare to ask or think, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, or dreams. He's able to do beyond what you can even hope for. Because the power at work in you is bigger than your hope. It's bigger than your dreams. It's bigger than your thoughts. It's bigger than your prayers. It's bigger than your desire. Even if you say, I am praying for this, there is a power in you that can do beyond what you're able to pray for. That's the power of love. That power exists in every dimension of the spirit. There is no dimension where it's not. And there is no dimension where it's not effective. That's why he says love never fails. You understand this thing and it starts to grow in you. God will fulfill his purposes through you superabundantly. He will start to do things you never prayed for. He will start to do things you never thought about. He will start to do things you never dreamt of or even hoped of. He will start to do things that you don't look like, that are not your age, they are not your color, they are not your credential, they are not your qualification. Ay, 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 You get what I'm trying to tell you? He will do more. That kind of orientation, spiritual orientation, opens a man to expect anything because God loves you. Somebody put your hand on your chest and say, because of God's love for me, I expect anything. Infinitely beyond my prayers, beyond my dreams, my desires, my hopes, and my thoughts. That's a very powerful statement. Because you are living by the power of love. That's what we call the spirit of life in Christ. He's always expressing that power. So you're not living by the power of the, the blood in you. No, 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 no. You're living by the spirit of life in Christ. That's the one that energizes you, leads you, strengthens you, upholds you, defines you. Now I want you to take at least two minutes of your time or three and thank God for the power of love. Thank him that he chose you. Thank him that you're not here by mistake. Thank him. Forgive yourself Receive forgiveness from him. Some of you are dealing with anger. Let go. It's not worth it. Some of you, you this person watching me, you got angry. Why did God kill your father? You didn't take your mother. Somebody who has been living in fear of death and because of what's in your body, what the doctors say, what you see, love is carrying you out tonight. Wonderful. Merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought 
Rescue the souls of men. Oh, you rescued the souls of men. Oh, Salah, comforter, keeper, spirit we long to for the church in Ephesians. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love you might be able to apprehend with all the saints what is the height what is the breadth what is the length what is the depth of God's love and that you might come to know him and his love to experience a love that surpasses mere knowledge without experience that you the bible says might be filled unto all the fullness of god that you may possess the richest measure of god's presence and that you will become a body holy filled and flooded with god himself now to him who is able in consequence of the power that is at work within you to do 
super abundantly above that which you dare to ask or think or imagine beyond your wildest hopes, dreams and thoughts and prayers. To him be glory and honor. Oh, for my savior, king, prophet. Amen. Give him a mighty hand for the king. Come on, clap for Jesus. given your life to Christ I am sure God has prepared you this day to embrace his person how do you say no to love and how do I not give you the opportunity to say yes to love so if you're there and you want to be born again today you say I want to receive that love I want to take Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior put your hand on your chest and say these words say father God I thank you because you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory. Today, I believe in the sacrifice of Jesus that he died for my sins and was raised for my glory today. I take you, Jesus, as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm born again. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.